Hey everyone! Did you know Neurodiverging now offers a free support group for autistic parents, monthly free live classes on neurodivergence-related topics, and a coaching corner twice a month on Instagram? Learn more and sign up for all of our learning opportunities at neurodiverging.com slash upcoming events. Every day, scientists are learning more and more about how human brains work and how many of us don't fit into the old-fashioned understanding of how brains should work. But a lot of ideas about parenting and familial relationships still need to catch up to the reality of human variation. Neurological differences are natural, profoundly valuable parts of being in a community together and in being part of a family. Whoever you are, wherever you are in your journey, I am here to explore with you. We are all in this together. Welcome to Neurodiverging. Welcome back to the Neurodiverging Podcast. I'm Danielle Sullivan, and I'm your host. Today, I'm here to tell you about my neurodiverse family's experience homeschooling during the pandemic, why it's working for us, and whether homeschooling is a good idea for families with disabled kids or not. Before I get to that, I'd like to thank my patrons, Clara, Zach, Teresa L., Sarah, Marty, Teresa B., Kristen, Galactic Fay, Claire, David, and Laura. Thank you all so much for supporting this episode of Neurodiverging. If you want to be like these amazing folks and support Neurodiverging, please check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash neurodiverging. You can pledge a dollar, five dollars, or ten dollars a month to support the podcast and keep it going. Funding also goes to help me provide support for low-income neurodiverging coaching clients, so it's very appreciated. If you're new here, I'm Danielle Sullivan, and I'm the host, obviously, of the Neurodiverging Podcast, and I'm a certified life coach and an autistic person and parent, and you may have noticed that we've spent the last couple of months over the podcast discussing education for neurodiverse kids. We've talked to special education tutors, literacy experts, and parents about how public schooling has affected their autistic and ADHD kids, and some of the issues or challenges they've had receiving needed supports for their kids. And over the course of this podcast, we've talked to a couple of parents as well who have chosen to pull their children from public schooling and to homeschool instead. So today I'd like to talk to you about my experience coming into the homeschooling stretch over the last couple of years and just what I think about it. And we're also going to go over some research together about outcomes for homeschooling children and also how many disabled kids are homeschooled and why. I'd also like to just take a minute to apologize for background noise in this podcast. It is very windy today. There are chimes. I can do nothing about it. This is the time we have. So thank you for your patience with uh, my audio ability at <laughs> this moment in my life. So as some of you know, I have two kids, ages about seven and nine, and we're currently homeschooling, or more specifically flexi-schooling, which I'll talk about more later. My children were enrolled in the public school in our district in the U.S. in Colorado, and we were very happy, generally, with the quality of their education and their access to the supports they needed. One child had an IEP, 
an individualized educational plan, and the other was on their way to five to a 504, which for those of you not aware, <laughs> are basically different official documents in the United States school systems that organize and guarantee extra special education supports, interventions, and accommodations for disabled kids. So we as a family have a huge amount of privilege in our schooling where we live in Colorado. Our district is well-financed. We have great teachers and educators who have a lot of knowledge around special education and disability, unlike most of the other school districts in the country. And social well-being is also a huge part of our school curriculum, especially in younger grades. And so some of the accommodations that are commonly requested for neurodivergent kids, like fidgets, extra time, extra support personnel in the classroom, uh, things similar to that, are available to almost all the kids in the classroom just as a default. So it's a really good environment for a lot of neurodivergent children. But even in these pretty highly favorable conditions, my kids were struggling in public school. And when I say struggling, I don't mean like dramatically struggling in the traditional sense. They had friends in the classroom. They generally followed classroom rules. They kept up with most of the academic work. They were mostly kind and respectful to the folks working at the school and communicated pretty well considering their ages about what they needed. But even considering all of that, my kids really struggled to feel like they were doing a good job in school and being good students in the way that the school expected. And I think this is a common issue that a lot of neurodivergent children especially have. And so it's definitely something I wanted to share from my personal experience as something you might be going through as well with your family. So I do try not to share generally anything overly personal about my kids in order to protect their privacy, but I talked to my kids about this and we decided it's okay to share. So my son is almost nine now, and he's a fine reader. He's not devouring books the way I was at his age, but that's more of a difference in temperament than ability. He's roughly at grade level and maybe a little bit below, but he's completely average in terms of reading. He's fine. He's a fine reader. So he attended public school preschool for two years, kindergarten, and then first grade. And then he was pulled out of second grade very early on to become homeschooled during the first wave of the COVID pandemic in the United States. That was about March 2020. He was on an IEP, an individualized education plan, for all of those years, all the way back from preschool, and he had support from an occupational therapist, a speech therapist, the school psychologist, and a special education team the whole time he was in school. But all the way back in kindergarten, he had developed the belief that he was a bad reader. In kindergarten. Now, some kids obviously can read beautifully in kindergarten, but I wouldn't say it's common or expected to have fluent readers at that age. Because of the way schooling is approached here, my son looked around at the, at this age in kindergarten and saw that other kids weren't getting the one-on-one -on -one attention he was, and they still seemed to be reading better than he was. And he developed this belief about himself and his ability as a learner that then caused really significant anxiety, stress, and fear whenever he had to read. And again, this was at age six, by six years old after only a couple years in the school system. And again, I want to stress a wonderfully supportive school system with educators that I really believe honestly enjoyed him and supported him as a person and as a unique intellect. He still developed a mindset of doubt in his abilities at six. So now, could he have stayed in the public school system and eventually reduced his reading anxiety enough to catch up? Well, maybe sure. I don't think any parent would say that just because your kid hits a bump, you should automatically get in front of them and like smooth out their path yourself. The bumps allow a child to develop resilience and grit and flexible problem-solving skills and self-esteem and community building and all of these traits and abilities that we want to build in our children. 
But as a parent, I was noticing these bumps, obviously, and talking to my son about them at home and seeing his anxiety and this corresponding dip in self-esteem and his doubt that he could handle the academics. And it was so frustrating to me because he totally could handle the academics. It wasn't that he couldn't do it. It was just that the, quote, special education kids and the kids who needed more support were pulled out of class for that support. So he felt alone. And he felt alone because he physically was alone. (laughs) He was with the special ed team and one or two other students while the rest of the classroom continued on with the lesson. So of course he thought, quote, everyone in his class was better at reading than him because he knew he was being singled out for extra help and he didn't see his other classmates learning and struggling along with him. And that's just one of my children's experiences. My daughter is identified with combined type ADHD, which means she has the inattentive type and the hyperactive type. So she needs a lot of movement, a lot of stimulus, shorter lessons, extra breaks. Um, She does better and feels more comfortable in one-on-one learning environments with a lot of check-ins from the educator. Because ADHD isn't a disability under the Americans with Disabilities Act, she wasn't eligible for an IEP, which means she wasn't eligible for any therapies or special education services through the district, the school district. So she didn't have access to the school's occupational therapist, even though we knew that OT helped her significantly. We couldn't get her access in school. We did do occupational therapy outside of the home through a center, but it, it, it wasn't available to her during the school day, which was a significant part of her day. We could have received some accommodations with a 504 plan, um, but whether she actually got those accommodations would mostly depend on follow through from the classroom teacher, who frankly, from my perspective, is already way too busy and stressed <laughs> with general classroom management to focus specifically on one child. And if there's multiple kids in one classroom with 504s or IEPs, that classroom teacher just has a lot of stress on them and a lot of pressure on them already. So I think that this is a personal opinion that the 504 is a really challenging option for families as well as teachers, that it's not really ideal for anybody. But Basically, the point is that my daughter, unlike my son, wouldn't have a dedicated team to help her in public school. So we were all struggling in various ways with this. And then in March 2020, when the COVID pandemic hit the U.S. and everything closed down like overnight, I immediately started homeschooling personally because I know that my kids thrive on routine and a lot of one-on-one time with me and their dad. And I knew that losing the school routine, especially overnight with no prep like that, would cause a ton of behavioral outbursts from them just because of the stress and the anxiety they'd undergo from suddenly being unable to predict their day-to-day lives. So I kept it simple and I just focused on math and literacy and science in short bursts throughout the day. And then eventually school restarted online later in the spring and we, you know, and again, I'm everybody was there. This was just last year. So everyone who was parenting at this time knows that everybody was struggling at this time. Like the schools didn't have online programs set up. Parents were still trying to figure out how to work from home um, or, or find childcare for their children when all the daycares closed. Everything was just a hot mess. But we really gave it our best shot for the online schooling. And we realized pretty quickly that even if the school managed to improve it dramatically, it was still not going to be a great fit for our family. My kids were just too young to be tech literate enough to follow what they were supposed to be doing when, and I barely knew where all the login information for all the programs was. And my daughter flat out refused, and I don't blame her, 
but she flat out refused to come to the computer for kindergarten, except for the songs that they did for opening in the morning and closing in the afternoon because she liked the songs. But the rest was just looking at a person on the screen and often a recorded person on the screen who wasn't even responsive to her. So how could you expect a kindergartner, especially an ADHD kindergartner, to uh, attend to that, right? My son on the other hand, really, really tried. And he enjoyed seeing his friends and his teacher, but he became overwhelmed by the busy screen and sitting for long periods and starting to get anxious again eventually. And it just was not working. But we made it through the spring through May, and then we started summer break. And I started thinking about what to do for the following fall when they were supposed to return to school, which was looking like it was going to be online school. And attending public school live had already been challenging, tolerable, but not great. So attending online school was absolutely not working for anyone, including me. And I started to wonder, like, could homeschool work for us? Is this the answer to this kind of problem? So I'm lucky enough to work from home. I've been working from home since my son was about a year old. So for quite a long time now. And I also like and have experienced teaching. So it wasn't much of a stretch for us as it is for many families to consider homeschool. Um, I've had the most practice at dealing with my son's anxiety and my daughter's oppositional defiance, quote unquote, which isn't actually defiance, but is like a mix of anxiety and inflexible thinking and needing more time to think. I really dislike the term oppositional defiance, but that's the technical, you know, Googling term. So I definitely knew more about what they needed behaviorally and, and in terms of support than I felt like their teachers did just by knowing them for longer. But I was concerned about my kids' social development and their academic growth. And would I be depriving them of anything by removing them from public schooling, even if it was being delivered via an online learning platform and Zoom meeting and stuff during the pandemic? So you all know I try to make evidence-based decisions, so I did the research. And first, I looked into why most homeschooling parents pull their kids out of public school in the first place. What are the most commonly cited reasons for that homeschooling decision to be made? I found one older study looking at data from 2001, which investigated what parents in the United States said about why they took their children out of public school. They asked parents open-ended questions, and then they categorized those responses into groups by their reasons. Here's what they found. Quote, Homeschooled students are educated at home because parents believe they can provide them a better education, that's 47% of parents, and for religious reasons at 41%, end quote. About a quarter of parents also cited poor learning environment at school as a reason for homeschooling, and about 17% in that study said that public school was not challenging enough for their child. Almost 9% said that their children were homeschooled because their child was disabled. And parents in this study could choose more than one option, which is why those numbers don't add up to 100 in case you're concerned. So most parents in this study had more than one reason for pulling their child out and doing homeschool instead. But noticing that almost 10% of children were homeschooled because they were disabled, and that a quarter of them also felt that those children were experiencing a poor learning environment at a school was very interesting to me. Another study published in 2000 focused on why United States parents chose homeschool for their, quote, special needs or disabled students, mostly students with diagnoses of ADHD, learning disabilities, pervasive developmental delay, and speech and language impairment. And again, they asked open-ended questions to about 100 parents. 
The study said, quote, the majority of survey parents, about 62%, turned to homeschooling when dissatisfied with conventional schooling. Parents cited this reason more than twice as much as the next two reasons. Homeschooling is consistent with family dynamics, which is 27%, and a desire to follow and teach religious values, which is 26%. Full citations and further reading are available in the show notes on neurodiverging.com, by the way, if you want to look any of this up or read any of the studies yourself. My family is not religious, but outside of that, all of these responses resonated really strongly with my own feelings about my kids' experience in public school. Um, When we talked to Lois Letchford in the Autism and Literacy episodes a couple of weeks ago, we discussed how children and humans in general need to be relaxed and in a curious state of mind in order to learn. And anxiety and stress and overwhelm cause that adrenaline response that inhibits curiosity and learning. My kids were experiencing that adrenaline response in the classroom, but not at home. So I did think that I could provide them with a better education than the school could, or certainly at least a more accessible one, which amounts to the same thing in the long run. So then I looked into some of my concerns about homeschooling. Are homeschooled kids successful in the long term? Do they have poorer or better social emotional health? What about college and job placement? So here's what I found. One literature review, which is basically a summary of existing research, pulled together research on homeschool students' social engagement and said, quote, researchers have shown that homeschooled students participated in more activities than children attending conventional school and that homeschooled children actively participated in myriad forms of community activities from organized sports, scouts, volunteer and paid work, church activities, and a whole variety of community offerings from dance and visual arts to hobby-related groups. Furthermore, as adults, homeschooled children are active participants in civic life, being more likely to work for political candidates or causes, attend public meetings, participate in protests or boycotts, vote in elections, and contribute money to political candidates than the general population, end quote. That same study then looked specifically at the social-emotional health of homeschooled kids by using data from the National Survey of Children's Health in 2007, which was a large survey of randomly sampled families collected by the United States government to monitor the health of American children. That survey could then be used to provide nationally representative estimates of the condition of homeschooling children and their families in the United States. So the resulting study was then based on more than 55,000 students, of whom about 1,500 were homeschooled. That author concluded, quote, it was surprising that this study revealed almost no systematic differences in the social and emotional health of homeschooled students in the United States compared to conventional schooled. Thus, the main conclusion of the study is that homeschooled students in the U.S. have comparable mental and emotional health and comparable community participation to their publicly schooled counterparts, even though their households are less affluent. There is no evidence that homeschooled students are at greater risk of socialization problems than publicly schooled students in the U.S., end quote. The only other finding from this study that's of interest is that homeschooled students were substantially less likely than publicly schooled students to be rated by their parents as arguing too much. (laughs) This is somewhat remarkable because homeschooled students spend substantially more time with their parents than publicly schooled students. Homeschooled students must negotiate with their parents an additional set of complex educational tasks, for example, curriculum, instructional practice, homework, balance between educational work and community activities, etc. Thus, it was a positive finding to find out that they are able to accomplish these additional complex educational tasks and additional interaction time and yet are argue less, end quote. 
My personal, but perhaps too optimistic hope after reading that is that homeschooled students might just have better relationships with their parents than average just because of the amount of time they're spent together. They might have built stronger communication skills and positive family bonds, but that's just conjecture. That's not what the study says. That's just my own perspective. So I did read as many studies as I could find on this topic, and the general consensus really seems to be that most homeschooled students end up doing fine. Academically, socially, emotionally, in all spheres that matter, they develop the same skills as conventionally schooled kids by the time they're adults at about the same levels. So after talking to my kids, my co-parent, and doing all this research, we obviously ended up homeschooling. So right now we're in our second full year, and honestly, I love it. Everyone's a lot more relaxed. Everyone's learning. The kids are able to follow their own interests, and I'm able to adapt what we do to follow them. We get outside more. We do field trips. We joined our local Navigator Scouting Club and found a forest school that can offer my kids relatively COVID-safe interaction with other kids once a week. I definitely had some rearranging to do with work and figuring out how to balance everything, but our days are pretty smooth overall now. Everyone's happy. Will I continue to homeschool once the pandemic winds down, though? I'm really not sure. I feel confident and secure in my decision under the current circumstances. And although I'm certain my children are learning more and building skills faster than they would in a pandemic-altered conventional school setting, I still have doubts long-term. And those doubts basically boil down to the question of, is removing disabled kids from the conventional school classroom in everybody's best interest? I don't think it is. I have huge moral and ethical qualms about removing my children from the conventional school classroom. And so next show, I'm going to be back to talk about why I think disabled kids should be integrated into conventional classrooms, why I'm not totally happy homeschooling and still feel kind of odd and uncomfortable about it. And and the most important piece is what could be improved in school classrooms to make them more inclusive for everybody so that people like me and my family can feel more confident and supported in the classroom. I hope this episode was useful for you and you learned something. Thank you so much for being here with me today. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please let me know. Leave a comment or email me, neurodiverging.podcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Show notes and further reading and works cited and all of that are available at neurodiverging.com. Thank you again to my patrons for supporting this podcast and everything we do at Neurodiverging. You guys are the best. Join us at patreon.com slash neurodiverging, and I hope to see you there. Please remember, we are all in this together.